Well, good morning, Cedar Home. It's good to uh, good to be with you. Uh, thanks again to uh, to the leadership here at Cedar Home. Appreciate the invitation. Uh, it is a joy to come and uh, gather with you guys this Sunday morning to to worship together. Um, we've got uh, crews that are. Uh, part, part of our family that's serving at our local church this morning and uh, just others, other, others that are otherwise engaged. But uh, there's a couple of my boys are here uh, to, uh, to worship with you guys this morning. And so thank you guys so much for um, your warm welcome that you guys have extended to us already this morning. And uh, we really appreciate that. Um, uh, interesting, Matta, uh, um, my, uh, uh, my oldest son actually uh, did your summer camp a few years ago and, and uh, had a blast. Flying an airplane every day for five days was fantastic and uh, opened up a world of opportunities for him. Um, and as he uh, started navigating, like, what am I going to do with my life? So uh, totally give you a thumbs up on that. Uh, we, do, we do have seven kids, uh, and uh, we, we, we try to have a lot of fun. One of the things that we don't do with seven kids very often is fly uh, at all, really. And uh, we have gone uh, long distances before with multiple. I think we took six kids to Chile for a month and uh, had a good time. Uh, but that was maybe the last time we've ever gone on a plane. But um, not, not that it was a bad experience. It was a fantastic experience. But, um, you know, uh, we, we typically will travel a little bit more local. So uh, one of our favorite things that we do uh, every year is uh, we try to do every year is we go to the Mount Baker area. And we enjoy, um, we enjoy all that God has created in, in kind of in and around that vicinity. And it's, you know, it's become one of those places where you just kind of go on a regular basis. And then it becomes kind of part of your tradition and your, your family cycle. Some of you guys have uh, these places that you just, you go year after year. And, and it may not be, you know, the world's most amazing place. And yet you go and you have a good time. And uh, it's fantastic. And the memories that are built. And it's like you look forward to it, right? It's one of those things. And uh, so we enjoy that. There is a, uh, there's a, there's a little river there called the Nooksack River. How many of you have been to the Nooksack? Fantastic, everybody, well, except for, you know, three of you. Sorry, sorry. So the rest of you guys will feel left out. But, the, you know, those of you are in the know. It's not like a, uh, a river that's like, you know, rushing like crazy. However, it's not a small river either. It's, 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 a, it's a pretty decent river. And so one of the things that we like to do is kind of hike around, uh, around the river. And, um, you know, hiking around the river, though, is sometimes different with teenage boys. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, so you can throw a picture up there uh, if you have it. Okay, there we go. So, so um, you know, we found a little space that's not quite, you know, part of the, the raging river. But the boys, for one reason or another, never, never find it, like, satisfying just to stay on one side of the river. There's always that, like, I want to get on the other side of the river. There's something more exciting about that. In this place, we had a couple of big rocks that were, uh, that were there, and that log did not exist. Um, they, uh, they decided to go into the forest and find some sort of piece of apparatus to find, like, wouldn't it be great to pole vault from one rock to the other, uh, you know, without dying? And uh, they thought it was a fantastic idea, and, you know, our, our uh, as, you know, mom and dad, maybe more mom than dad. Hearts were racing. And uh, anyway, so they actually found a way to kind of secure the log a bit and uh, do some crazy things. So, um, but uh, that's just a little, a little fun thing. See, Finn, you're in the picture. We were, we were talking this morning. He's like, I don't think I'm in the picture. I'm like, I think you're in the picture. So anyway, that is Kyler. 
uh, I think this was a couple years ago. So he's, he's about four feet taller than he was in that picture. So they just keep eating. Um, thank you. That's good. We're, uh, um, we're in Joshua 3. If you want to turn to Joshua chapter 3 this morning, that's where we are going to be. You know, a couple weeks ago, uh, the church started the Joshua series and... Uh, um, so week one was Joshua 1, and you guys remember the refrain that was over and over and over, be strong. Oh, let's try that again, be strong. Yeah, be strong and courageous, that's right. And uh, um, I, I, I thought that was fantastic, and, and then last week, Pastor Nate was able to share out of Joshua 2, talking about the outrageous grace that God has uh, for people, heard the story of the, uh, of the spies. Um, you know, that, that crossed this river, uh, must have been some sort of Olympic swimmers, you know, the only two swimmers in the tribe. And, uh, you know, they got across and they, they went in and uh, met Rahab. And of course, we know Rahab's story and, and uh, Nate did a fantastic job explaining, like, you know, what it, like how amazing God's grace is for us. And here we, uh, he returned this morning to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to continue in the series, so uh, go ahead and, and uh, turn to the scriptures this morning. I'm just going to read the entire chapter, and, and uh, it's 17 verses, and so it shouldn't be too much this morning. Verse 1 says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, 
The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And these flowing down through the sea of the Arabath, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. And now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. May these words... And our thoughts this morning be pleasing to you in your name. Amen. So verse 1, we find the Israelites have reached uh, the border to this promised land. And unfortunately, there's this raging Jordan River that is separating them from here to there. They have as we know, gone through the wilderness for 40-some years, and they have reached this place where uh, one, you know, one day that was, was uh, p- promised to them. And generation after generation, the passing of down of this promised land is finally upon them. And then here they are, sitting at the bank of the overflowing Jordan River. I'm no river expert. I'm sure this was more significant than the Nooksack River. Uh, what I know is uh, what I can read in commentaries. I've never been there. But I, but I hear and I read that, that this river might have been at this flood stage, might have been 90 to 100, 110 feet wide, maybe, maybe at the most 10 feet deep. And I was kind of joking about you might have, you might have had the two swimmers uh, that, that were able to, to make it across earlier. Uh, but but uh, you would imagine an, an agrarian society in the in the middle of the wilderness, wandering around, um, you know, eating manna and uh, drinking out of rocks. That there probably wasn't a lot of local YMCA's uh, to 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 teach people how to swim. All right, and so uh, just the reality of 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 the of that fact, there probably wasn't a lot of you know strong swimmers. Um, in, in, you know, you can imagine. So, uh, you know, they get to this river, and, and then they sit there. And the Lord is so kind to let them sit there for three days. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I think about that, and I think about sitting, you know, across from this land where you have been promised, and you're just on the verge of where you know God said you were going to go. And right before you is what seems insurmountable. An obstacle that just seems like, how are we going to get over this? How are we going to get from here to there? And I don't know about you, if you're reading through the Old Testament sometimes and you're like, man, those Israelites are some stiff-necked, so quick to get frustrated and overwhelmed, and like, really, you took us this far just to kill us? Like, you know, sometimes we read that, and you're like, really? Come on, you guys are so fickle. I mean, the God of the universe is like leading you by day and by night. Like, come on. And then other times, if you're like me, you find yourself being really fickle. And you're like, you easily get overwhelmed, and you're like, you know what? It seems insurmountable. How are we going to get past? How are we going to get from here to there? 
And what can the Jordan River, in this instance, became this insurmountable thing for them. And here they were, sitting for three days. And I would imagine, if I, putting, I mean, trying to put myself into their shoes, like one or two things is probably going to happen. Number one, they're going to come up with like some log or some like, you know, engineering, human ingenuity that is going to like drive them to find some way to get from here to there. Right? You got three days. You're going to build like some MacGyver thing. And the next thing you know, you got a, a, a stick of chewing gum and some duct tape. And, and they're going to find their way across this river. Or you're going to sit there and you're going to fret and, and be filled with fear and start thinking, Really? <laughs> After all of that, I mean, who's this Joshua anyway? He's no Moses. Here we are. Another river? What are we going to do? And you imagine, like, they were getting, you know, since we don't read that they had found duct tape and a stick of gum and figured out a way over, my guess is that maybe the latter is what was going on in some of the people's hearts. And the Lord is so kind to let them sit there for three days. How many of you are sitting in these chairs this morning, like myself, and you kind of resonate with that story, that you are sitting at the edge of the Jordan, and you're looking at where you believe God has for you on the other side of that Jordan, and you're thinking, how is this going to happen? And the Lord, in his kindness, sets us there sometimes. I don't have a slide for it. I'm sorry. But you can flip back to Genesis chapter 12, Hopefully you, you brought a copy of your own Bible with you this morning. And we're going to read about the promise that, that, uh, that God gave Abraham, that God gave the people of Israel. We talk about this promised land. We talk about being on the edge of this promised land. We talk about crossing the Jordan so that we can enter into this promised land, the Israelites. And, and, and where does that come from? Uh, Genesis chapter 12, we find the call of Abram. We find, you know, this guy named Abram. He later would become Abraham. But the Lord shows up to Abram, and this is what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, verse 1, chapter 12, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And that's exactly where they find themselves. On the verge of fulfilled promises, where they are excited to know that like, this, is, this is the kind of story that was passed down from family to family, passed down like God's promises, land, seed, future, blessings. Like this is like God's promise. And here they are about to walk into that. And then they get stymied by this big river. And, you know, Joshua, the, the book, the writer is, is, is uh, you know, gracious enough to tell us that not only is it the Jordan River, but it's at flood stages. Like it's a significant thing that's happening here. So three days, that's enough time to start to worry, I'm sure. Uh, but this is, this, is where, uh, this is where I found myself this week. 
and I'm sure you guys have been there, where, where things that are difficult, things that are hard, things that feel insurmountable, things that feel like it's, it's like you know that God has something greater for you. You know that God has like these promises. You know, like you've read the New Testament, you know all that which that God has promised already. And you were just kind of crying out to the Lord and saying like, yes, but it seems too hard. And maybe you resonate uh, like I do with the Israelites on the other side of the Jordan. And so after three days, Joshua sends the commanders through, right? So he, he goes through, you know, after, after there was enough time to worry, after there was enough time to, to build fear. They send the commanders through the, through the, uh, through the people of Israel, and, and they kind of give them some instructions. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from the place and follow Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I mean, this is encouraging words. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Make yourself holy, right? Why? Because God is going to do some amazing things. God is about to do the miraculous. God is about to do. So whatever it is that you're thinking in your mind, whatever it is that the fear Whatever it is that is taking over, like, put that aside. Consecrate yourself. Make yourself holy. Whatever it is that you need to do to purify yourself, make yourself holy, set yourself apart, to be prepared to see what God is going to do because he is going to do some wonders among you. This is encouraging words from Joshua. And then the other, the other instruction from Joshua is to, to keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. And so let's talk a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a physical representation of the presence of God. This Ark of the Covenant was something that God had the Israelites make, that it was kept in the Holy of Holies, that was kept in the tabernacle, and it was the very presence, representation of the presence of God. And so as the Israelites were wandering through the desert, God was with them. He tabernacled amongst them. He was in the midst of the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant sat in the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle, and that was the very presence of God. And so for the, for the Ark of the Covenant to be pulled out and to, to be brought before the people, it was as if like Joshua is saying, okay, keep your eyes on the presence of God. The presence of God is going to go before you. And when the presence of God goes before you, you are to be on watch for it and then follow after it. Beautiful instructions. And so this, was, this, is, what was, this is what was instructed to the people of God. As I was reading through that this week, I was, I was just reminded of like, do you remember when Peter came out of the boat and stepped onto the water with his eyes on Jesus? So they were instructed to keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant as it was going before the Israelites and then to follow this presence of God into the water. And then we have this short little interlude where we're kind of brought into this like personal dialogue between, uh, between God and Joshua. It says then, uh, verse 7 says, Then the, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Isn't it 
so gracious of God to give Joshua that word of encouragement. You would imagine, I mean, can you imagine trying to fill the shoes of Moses? I mean, this, this guy had some serious sandals to fill. There's no way that anybody could fill the shoes of Moses. And yet Joshua is stepping up and there's this transition of leadership. And you would imagine like Joshua is in this place where it's like, okay, God, you're going to do something great here. And you're, you're, I, I'm trusting you. And the Lord speaks to Joshua and he says, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Great encouraging words. God is so gracious to give us those words when we need them, is he not? And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And so then he brings all of the people of Israel together and he's like, okay, this is how it's going to go down. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, right? Because just getting across the river was going to be like step one. But as we know, as we read through the book of Joshua, there's going to be step two and three and four and all of these steps of faith are going to need to be taken and Joshua is saying, this is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you the people in Canaan. And so he gives them some instructions. I just love that, uh, that God, not only does he take time to encourage Joshua, but he gives words of hope for the entire community. Words that are going to hopefully continue to ring true for them when things continue to get tough. Because the Jordan is not going to be their only obstacle. So finally, it's time, right? The priests take the Ark of the Covenant, and with a step of faith, out of obedience, they head into this river. And I don't know how long it takes, but the next thing you know, I mean, I love this word picture. The water is like piled up into a heap. Like, I don't even know necessarily what that looks like. Like, try to picture it all week. Like, what does a heap of water look like? And of course, this is reminiscence of crossing the Red Sea, right? And they would have known stories, right? So Joshua and Caleb were there for the crossing of the Red Sea, but the rest of them, like, this is kind of new found territory. And isn't it cool that God gave them, this generation of Israelites, their own crossing, And next thing you know, this water is in a, it's like piled up into a heap way over by Adam. And then the rest of it, not only is it just like water gone, but like the ground is dry. Like that's amazing, right? This is obviously a miraculous thing. This is like the wonders of God, God coming through. The ark of the presence of God goes into the river. The river is heaped up into a pile of water. The ground then is completely dry. And all of Israel passes right by the presence of God over dry ground into the fulfilled promised land. Like, this is God bringing it home, culminating this moment where Israel moves into this land. It's beautiful. Next week, we'll talk about, like, what did they do when they got to the other side? But this week, I have a few observations. 
Just uh, some observations of this, this part of the, the story of, of the Israelites. So the instructions were that for them to specifically look for the Ark of the Covenant and to follow it. And as we know, the Ark was always in the tabernacle, which was the physical representation of the presence of God. I want to spin this forward a little bit, and I want to look into this idea of the tabernacle in the New Testament. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. I think we have it up on the screen. Matthew 1, 23 says, Behold, I know it's not Christmas, but we can still use this passage. I hope it's okay. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then flip over to John 1.14. And the word Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word dwelt there is skinao, which means, well, it's translated in English for dwelt, but it means to fix one's tabernacle, to have one's tabernacle, to abide in a tabernacle, or to tabernacle, like to dwell in a tabernacle. And so here we have Jesus becoming flesh, right? The incarnation, Jesus comes to earth. He becomes God. He is both God and man. He is the the hypostatic union. He is both God, fully God, and fully man. He is God with us, Emmanuel. And then here we have John telling it like it is. And the word became flesh, and he tabernacled among us. And any Jewish reader and listener of this word from the writer John here would recognize that this is like, this is like a direct like callback to the fact that this is the same creator God that tabernacled with, in and around the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle with the people of Israel. Like this is a specific callback. So it's not just any God that showed up. It's not just like a God that showed up. It's the God. It's the creator God. It's the God that was with Israel when they crossed the Red Sea. It is the God that heard the cries of the people of Israel when they're in Egypt crying out under the bonds of slavery. It is the same God that rescued them, heard their cry, pulled them out, crossed the Red Sea, brought them through the desert, led them in the wilderness by day and by night, and miraculously did wonders by allowing them to cross the Jordan River on dry ground. And so anybody that's reading the Gospel of John as a Jewish listener would know that that is skinao, using that word specifically because it is a, it is a callback to that God. And the incarnate Jesus is the same God that was with the people of Israel. I think that is fantastic. And the physical representation on God, of God on earth was no longer the Ark of the Covenant, but Jesus himself. I was uh, teaching Bible to this group of young people, you know, from the age of about five to, uh, to 17 or so. And, and, and we were talking about... Uh, Again, it was, it's not Christmas, but we were talking about Jesus coming as, as a baby. 
We've been going through the whole story of God from Genesis and we're moving towards Revelation, but we're, we're doing it in a year and we got to the New Testament basically where, where the first thing we're looking at is the fact that Jesus, Jesus came as a baby, the physical representation of God on earth. And he started the tabernacle with his people. And I'm kind of telling the story and uh, a 10 year old kind of raises her hand and and she says, isn't this kind of like, like Jesus was there because um, it's kind of like God's rescue mission for the fact that these people, like all of us, are kind of like shackled in, in sin, like, like the Israelites in, in Egypt, and how like they don't want to sin, but they kind of sin anyway, and, and like, this is God's plan to rescue them out of that kind of slavery of sin? And I'm like, yes! Yes! That's amazing! You want to teach next week? That's fantastic! That's exactly it. And she's getting it as a 10-year-old that, that the same God that did all of that back then is the same God that is showing up to tabernacle with the people of God in the time that Jesus walked the earth. It's the same God. It's beautiful. Spinning it forward even further, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11, of course, is, is a chapter full of all of these people of, of faith who walked the earth and did amazing things you know, through the power of God in their life, you know, one of which, you know, Moses gets major highlights, which is, you know, why it's so hard to fill Moses' sandals, right? So um, we hear about all of these amazing men and women of the scriptures that walked in amazing ways and God was able to use them in powerful ways in their life. And, and uh, they, they all had like messed up lives and yet they trusted, G they trusted God, the creator God, by faith. And here we have the writer of Hebrews brings us to chapter 12 here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have been invited to be a part of God's kingdom. Jesus announced his uh, kingdom as, as, as we read through the gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can see that Jesus was announcing the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God has come. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. He announced that the kingdom of God is here, amen? And then he endured the cross. And after three days, he rose, defeated death, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand throne of God, ruling over all of the world in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here now. And we have entered this space where God is the king, where Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is who he is. He announced his 
kingdom was coming. He ascended. He's sitting at the right hand of the uh, throne of God. He is the authority in our life. And it is exciting. And the writer of Hebrews says that that's true, right? And we were to put our eyes on him, to keep our eyes on him. And then, and then he describes that there's this race that is being run. And that we were to, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And we were to, to complete this race of endurance. Uh, I, ha- I have a friend who's into ruck races, uh, like ruck, rucking I don't even know necessarily what it's called, but he's a little crazy. He, it's not good enough just to like run a long distance, but he, he wants to put like weight and weights, like, you know, 50 pound pack in his backpack and, and, then, then, and then go for long distances. Has anybody heard of this? No. So it's like, yeah, a few of you. Okay, so I'm not making it up. It's, it's true. And, and, uh, but nobody's heard of it because it's crazy. <laughs> even the author of Hebrews knows it's crazy. You're supposed to, Set aside every weight, all right? You're not supposed to carry it with you. I mean, I, 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 I need to tell him, like, he's not biblical. So <laughs> uh, there, was, there was a, like, a, a small season in my life where I did a little bit of running, and, um, and, and, and so I, I, don't, I was never much of a runner. I was never much of a person who was into races. Uh, I don't know if you, some of you guys were into races, but I never was in track and field or cross country or anything like that. But I got to 30 and I thought, I want to run a marathon. And so I started running longer than I normally do, which is like fr- to the fridge. And, um, and so I started doing that and uh, it, was, you know, it was kind of enjoyable for a short little season. But I'll never forget uh, running the, the Seattle uh, Rock and Roll Marathon. And, and I, um, you know, the writer of Hebrews says that like, the race is set before you. And, and I'm really glad about that it was true in this marathon because, like, you know, you would turn a corner and then it would, like, you know, the pathway, like, hey, take a right here. And, and you know, and so you're going you're gonna to follow the course that is set before you and you're, you're running along. And, you know, sure enough, after about 26 miles, I thought, hey, you get, you get that little like 24, 25, you get to 26, and you're like, okay, home stretch. And there's like a little turn, and it's like, okay, the course is taking a left. And so I, I take a left, and then it was the most disheartening thing in the world. In the moment, it felt like the most disheartening thing in the world because I take that left, and I, and I realize I've only got 0.2 miles left. Like, we're almost there. I can, I can just taste the finish line, and I realize it's uphill. And I'm like, who has designed this course that after 26 miles, all of a sudden you're going to, like, have this moment of, like, chariots of fire finishing strong, and it's uphill. I'm like, who did this? God has prepared a race for you. And there are probably some uphill parts of it. And there are going to be some downhills and there's going to be some left turns and right turns and turns that you didn't expect, right? But God has prepared a race for you. That's what Hebrews is saying, that, that this race has been set before us. And, and that in the midst of it, maybe there's some uphills, maybe there's some difficulties, maybe there's some like S-curves. I don't know, there's a left and a right and an uphill and a downhill, and there might even be obstacles like the Jordan River in the midst of the race that you are running, and yet God has set it for you. And I want to tell you this morning that I believe wholeheartedly that God has a plan for your life. It is a race that has been set before you, and he is excited to see you finish that race. 
right? And there is a great cloud of witnesses. There's a great crowd of people right here in this church sitting in the chairs next to you that are excited that you are on this race. And that there might be difficulties along the way in that the, the, the instructions that we have are so similar to what Joshua said to the people in, 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 as they're crossing the Jordan. It's like, keep your eyes on the presence of God. Hebrews says, keep your eyes, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Like we're called to keep our eyes on Jesus and that this race, whatever it is that is set before you, it might be difficult. There are going to be stretches along the race that are going to be discouraging. There's going to be stretches along the race where you're going to be feeling like you might want to quit. I was there. I rounded that corner. I'm like, I'm almost done and I want to quit. It was a lot farther than from the couch to the fridge. And we can get discouraged. But there are markers along the way that will help us. And most of these are going to be found in the scriptures. There are so many truths for us. His word is a guide for us. Uh, we were gathering with a couple families for uh, some discipleship night that we do about once a month. And um, it was said in that, uh, that video that we were, David Platt um, was a video that we were, we were listening to and he was giving a message and, and he was saying, you know, many people ask like, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever asked that question? What is God's will for my life? Maybe the young people in your life have come to you and said, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. Um, he, he was saying a better question is, am I going to do God's will? in my life? Am I going to do God's will in my life? And I thought like, that was fantastic because God's will is pretty clear. There's a race set before us, but at the end of the day, what are we called to do? We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to love God. We're called to reach out to our friends. We're called to go and make disciples. We are called to get on a plane and go and make disciples either like next door or in our workplace or on the other side of the globe. The will for our life is clear. God's made it abundantly clear in his guidebook right here. It's here. Like if you want to know what the will for your life is, then read through the scriptures. We are called to join God in the kingdom, in his work. And it might be accounting, it might be flying, it might be being a missionary, it might be a pastor. And, and what we talked about uh, a few weeks ago is that the divide between the secular and sacred is silly, that it's all sacred. And that God is calling us to invest, to love, to, to make disciples, to, to invest in people's lives. His call to us is clear. Follow Jesus, join him in bringing the kingdom of God and go and make disciples. And the question is, will we obey his will for our life. Flip over to Mark chapter 10. We find ourselves with the rich young ruler. You guys know this one well, I'm sure. Verse 17 says, and as he was setting on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. 
And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. What was the will of God for this rich young ruler? The will of God for this rich young ruler was to surrender the authority of Jesus in his life to see that Jesus is the king and to follow him and to go and make disciples. Like this was the invitation. And Jesus was able to look into his heart and knew what it is that he needed to ask, the question that he needed to ask this particular guy. But the reality is, is that, you know, um, this young ruler, his eyes were fixed on something other than Jesus. His eyes were fixed on the security and the comfort that comes from his wealth. Maybe you have your eyes fixed on a political solution to save the world. Maybe you have your eyes fixed on a person who will solve all your struggles. Maybe it's a wife or maybe it's a husband. And that this person is going to be, in essence, your savior. That will hold it all together for you. But maybe you are like the rich young ruler and that you have your eyes fixed on the secure feelings and comfort that comes from a padded bank account. Or, you know, or you're saying, hey, you know what? One day I am going to have a padded bank account and then I'm going to feel secure and then I will fix my eyes on Jesus. Until then, I'm going to work hard and make sure I start stacking that paper. David Platt in the same talk was saying that, you know, coming to Jesus is like coming to him with a blank check. Like, okay, here's, here's the check. Have whatever it is that you want. I am here. I am yours. I'm coming to you with everything that I have. I'm here for you. You are my king. I am ready to do whatever it is. I lay my life down for you. If you're like me, sometimes there are weeks where you feel like you're on the other side of the Jordan, that God has not stopped the waters, that we have not entered into this promised land, and that there's this great difficult obstacle that's sitting between us and what we feel like is God's future hope for us. And it can be discouraging. And it can be difficult. And sometimes we can feel weary and tired and worn out. And sometimes we can feel a little bit overwhelmed. But the reality is, is that we're not alone. We're in this together. Look around. Look to your left. Is that scary? Look to your right. You're not alone. We're in this together. Um, I got this image of, uh, of a piece of art by Andrew Rublev uh, from the 15th century. Hopefully we can get that image up. Um, it's called the Holy Trinity. Uh, it's a, a piece of Russian iconography. Um, it's from the 15th century, and it, it's supposedly supposed to, uh, to describe the Holy Trinity, and that you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I like this image because I, I believe it, like, it depicts kind of the circular pattern of the art. It depicts that there's like 
some uh, unity and communion and relationship and community that l- exists in this circular pattern between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been in community forever. That there's this amazing relationship, that the, that the Godhead, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have been existing in community for all time. They have, they are, they will be always in community. And here they are depicted around a table, sharing a meal together. And to me, it's a beautiful image of, you know, it's just one man's depiction of what that might look like. But the point is, the reality is that they are in community. And if we realize that we are made in God's image, if we believe that we are made in God's image, like we find in in Genesis, that we are made in the image of God, then we are image bearers. And if we're image bearers, then we reflect his character. If we reflect his character, then part of who we are is like written into our DNA is that we are needing community that we need to be in relationship with one another. And when things get difficult and when you get to that edge of the Jordan and you're looking at that insurmountable river that's setting before you and it feels like an obstacle that there's no way that you can get over, you need to look to the person on your left or look to the person on your right and say, you know what, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling discouraged. I am trying to run this race. I'm, I'm trying to keep my eyes on Jesus, but there seems to be this insurmountable obstacle that is in the way, and I, am, I need you to like, lift up my hands. I need you to be with me. And church, we have one another. Like This is God's plan that we are together, that we are in this together. The, the, the beauty and the hope of the church is that it's not you alone trying to do your best to keep your eyes on Jesus, but that there is a cloud of people right here within this body right here in Cedar Home Baptist Church, like they are here for you. And so if you are hurting this morning, if you are worn out, if you are tired, if you're weary, if you need somebody to pray with you, would you ask somebody to pray with you before you go today? I mean, would you just say, you know what, I'm overwhelmed. I feel like there's an obstacle and this is what it is. I'm feeling fear, I'm feeling whatever it is. I believe that this is why the body is together. We are to rejoice together, we are to mourn together, we are to love one another And that is why we're here together. Because sometimes it's easy to keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? And sometimes it is hard to not get distracted. Sometimes it is easy to get overwhelmed by fear or by insecurity or by something where the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come to bring life. And we need to remind one another that, yes, it is difficult now. But one day... The presence of God is going to open up that river and you're going to walk across this obstacle on dry ground. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. God can do the miraculous. God can do the wonderful. God can do the things that we can't even imagine. Right? And and there are days when you might feel overwhelmed. And I just want to encourage you, would you lean into one another? We need one another. There is a reason why the church gathers. There is a reason why we come together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are grateful, so grateful, that we can be led by your presence. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus, that you tabernacle with us. That you are dwelling amongst your people. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. 
And what a beautiful thing it is to know that you are always with us. And Lord, may we be encouraged. May we encourage one another. May we join in one another and, and, and love one another, encourage one another, challenge one another, spur one another on. And what an encouraging thing it is to hear about how the women are gathering, the men are gathering, that God is doing something here amongst people in community, that you are at work and it is beautiful. Lord, you are going to open up some Jordan rivers. You are going to uh, do some great things here and through this church. Lord, help us as a community of believers to take steps in faith and obedience. And would you help us to keep our eyes on you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to end our time together in a benediction and then we have a quick word. Uh